Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 301st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who bridges sectors of environmental and social justice movements within the world of sustainability. We're talking with Sean Paul Von Anken, about Arcosante and their event, The Convergence. Sean Paul is an urbanist and community developer with a degree in planning and sustainability from the University of New Mexico. He is concerned with growing resilient food systems and advancing ideas of good urban design. As an event producer and community organizer, his work facilitates civil engagement, conflict resolution, and social justice. Contemporary social, environmental, and economic injustice inspire Sean Paul to join arms with activists and cultural catalysts of all varieties and from all backgrounds. His goal is to bend and blend movements together to embody and expound a new social urban paradigm. He works at Arcosante, an urban laboratory in the Sonoran Desert just north of Phoenix. Welcome to the show today, Sean Paul. Are you ready to rock? Let's do it, Greg. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the intro. I like conflict revolution, and I think I think I meant conflict resolution, but it's essentially the same thing. Conflict, I was going to say they both work. Yeah, I'm, I'm into conflict revolution, absolutely. I would add on to that that I've done quite a bit of traveling and cross-pollinating within the sustainability and social justice movements. I've done a lot of hitchhiking tours and travels to certain permaculture institute, eco-villages, urban spaces, and I like communicating those ideas that I learn at those spaces as I travel along to other 
interesting projects. And so that's a, that's a big part of what I do. And then I'd just like to add that as far as food systems go, I'm amazed and fascinated by food because I think it speaks to true value and virtue in a way that no other sector of our movement or our economy does. And so food has just wrapped me into its fold in in the sense that people revolve around it in a really dynamic way. And and it it kind of speaks to all the values of the sustainability movement inherently. Mm -hmm. So that's my fascination with food systems and bridging gaps within the value chain. You're pretty inspired already as a young person. What was the catalyst there that pushed you in that direction? You can start with my introduction to the sustainability movement in general. I think we forget that people have to get introduced to this stuff at some point. And for me, a lot of what we're going to be talking today is the urban laboratory called Arcosani. And, and that was really my foot into the door. I was 18 years old, took a gap year. I was kind of disenfranchised with how academia was delivering for me. And so I took a year off and started traveling around, landed at a place called Arcosani and suddenly realized, oh, wow, there there is this whole alternative movement. And it's it's almost humbling to know that some people don't even have access to this type of knowledge or these types of environments. And so that that was my foot in the door was coming to this place where all kinds of seed savers and farmers and urbanists and architects were talking about radical, aka rational ideas. And from Arcosani, I had enough knowledge from my peers to follow that word of mouth train around all kinds of places around the states. And that was my kind of introduction to this community-based, whole systems thinking movement. Arcosani is a place that really inspired me initially. And from there, I traveled to Earthship Biotexture. I went to Oroville in southeastern India. Wow, you've been there? I've been there. I worked on a farm there. Wow. These were all inspiring places and it kind of molded my thinking in the, as you can tell by the examples there, in the kind of social Mm -hmm. utopian zone. So thinking about how idealism can be reached and how if we as a small group of people, 50 people, 200 people, if we embark from the mainstream society into a microcosm of the larger system, we can prototype solutions to larger problems. And and so that's that's what shaped a lot of my thinking initially. You know, really to answer your question though, what what inspired me to start along this journey, I would say it's just the feeling you get when you encounter community. It's kind of hard to describe. I would say it feels a lot like a homecoming. It feels a lot, you know, mm-hmm. it's not oftentimes in our communities that We can look around, even in our neighborhoods, and feel like we trust those people, that we share values. And that's, of course, a shame, but we don't do enough work to to build those networks of communication, resiliency, and trust. And so the community movement certainly is engaging with that type of intervention to build a, a sort of social resiliency. You used some big words there. What's social resiliency mean? Great question. I think social resiliency is ability to adapt, react, and confront the imminent and already occurring 
problems that our environment, ecosystems, and social systems are facing right now. In a way, resiliency, of course, is, is how we can absorb the shock of new information, new technology, unintended consequences. And social resiliency, I would say, is people's ability to continuously and collaboratively problem solve because we're getting a constant barrage of issues in front of us every every day, every week. And if you don't have strong community ties, which I would relate to social resiliency, then you're mm -hmm. not going to be able to adapt in stride with the dilemmas that the world is facing in today's world. So oftentimes we understand that, that the science is clear and that there are interventions that we can that we can try and actualize but people get in the way of themselves and, <laughs> and in a big way in a huge way it seems to be it seems to be the the bottleneck here yeah social resiliency is somehow facilitating the the ability to to work together to to adapt to these upcoming and imminent dilemmas yeah so let's talk about arcosante paula solari came to America and studied under Frank Lloyd Wright at Taliesin West. He grew a little bit too big for the shoes of the apprenticeship there. Himself and a small cohort of architects were fired and simultaneously quit from being under the wing of Frank Lloyd Wright and started their own project. Soleri called his Cosanti, which mm -hmm. means before things. And he started, amongst other things, making wind bells and designing small passive solar structures in the desert. Mm, right. His design thinking really evolved from this notion of developing architecture that adapts and reacts to its environmental context into designing cities. He started thinking on the community scale, and then he started thinking on the urban scale, and eventually devised architectural philosophy called arcology, architecture mixed with ecology, the notion that you can blend the best of the urban world, the dynamic, social, vibrant, urban landscape with mm -hmm. the serene and slow and natural ecology surrounding it. And so his goal was to blend those two things. And of course, he did it in a word called arcology, architecture mixed with ecology. And so much of his thinking was propelled by the energy of the 1970s, this notion that we can change the world. Uh, we have to change the world. There's an imperative here, and it's possible. There was so much of that energy around that I think he kind of rode that movement, the, mo the back to the land movement, the green movement of the 70s, and decided to actually build an example of what he was talking about. So every architect has some sort of ideal city or structure, but very few, I think, endeavor to construct it. And that's what he did at Arcosani. He bought 860 acres of land and organized a cohort of 150, 200 people who moved with him up into the middle of the Arizona desert and started building this thing. And when did that happen? That happened in 1970. And so this is right at the kind of apex of the green movement in the 70s. And he certainly used that to, to propel his ideas forward. And, and Arcosani was a global example of what you can do if a small group of people put their mind to something. Yeah. And it remained that way for some time. And the rest 
of the 50-year history can be described in revolutions and expansion and contraction. It's a fascinating history that brings us to this moment right now where we really see Arcosani in a, a moment of generational transition. Mm-hmm. A lot of the thinkers and doers of the 70s are now in their 60s and 70s. Or transitioned. Exactly. Soleri himself passed away uh, four years ago in 2013. Mm-hmm. And that kind of marks, uh, of course, a, a turning point for a project that's completely based around his ideas. Yeah. One of the big questions we have today at Arcosani is, is how do we hold the strong ethos that Paulo Soleri brought to the space while also changing, adapting, and evolving into a 21st century context. And so so many things are different now. The entire game is different from when it was 10 years ago, let alone 50. And mm-hmm. so those are some of the big questions that the Kosani Foundation is facing in the 2017 moment. So I drive up the driveway of Arcosante. Actually, I'm driving the freeway, I-17, north toward Flagstaff, and there's an exit. I take the exit, come down the driveway into Arcosante. What am I going to see? You're really not going to see too much. The site is completely embedded into the side of a mesa. It's ironic. We talk about dense, three-dimensional, multi-story, mixed-use architecture. And Mm -hmm. when you drive up to the site, you're like, what is this kind of funny, small thing in the desert? And when you walk down onto the side of the mesa, however, you're confronted by 40-foot-tall arches, five-story structures with atriums and apses and uh, stairways that lead all over the place and sometimes to nowhere. The The architecture, if, if there's anything to be said about Paulo Soleri, he was an absolutely phenomenal architect. Mm-hmm. He created a space that was built for humans. What Arcosani is, is all about is, is pedestrianism. You get rid of the car and you see how existing on the human scale changes your lifestyle and changes your habits and changes your behaviors. And so this is the living experiment at Arcosani. What happens when people exist in an architecture designed like this? So it's a small city. It's a micro city. That's what we call it. You know, there's a tiny house movement. Maybe it's like a tiny city type thing. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's about 70 people who live and work on site. It's kind of a company town in that sense. A lot of the people are devoted to the educational goals of the foundation, which are to teach good urban principles and sustainability to an audience that may not have any familiarity with the conversation. So we kind of approach that conversation from a beginning point and then get pretty deep into it. And then there's another part of the the population at Arco that is completely artisanal. So they're creating the products that sustain the project. They make wind bells out of bronze and ceramic tiles and other things, craftsmanship, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they are kind of the heartbeat of the space because they're bringing in the revenue. So you're hosting the first ever Arcosante Convergence. Tell me what that is, what it's about, why are you doing it? Absolutely. The Convergence is a sustainability and arts festival. It's actually a festival combined with a conference. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. Nice. Where we're featuring 
world-renowned speakers and leaders in sustainability and social justice, and where we're also featuring amazingly diverse musical scene of house, electronica, acoustic, Americana. And you're going to get to experience both of these components of our movement in a weekend-long setting in the architecture of Arcosanis. Wow. Our daytimes will be spent working hard to develop relationships with local nonprofits, organizers, and different groups in the movement, Mm -hmm. ranging from folks like the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance with Bill McDormand and Bell Starr, to the local first Arizona cohort, and Thomas Barr will be speaking, their new uh, deputy director. Slow Food Prescott will be involved, Speak Up nice. Flagstaff, Ecosa Institute, which of course is Tony Brown's. And so it'll essentially, we're aiming to, to blend all of the good stuff in our movement together where it's not just one thing. It's a conference. It's a festival. It's a it's a film screening. It's a film festival. It's a lot of different things at one time so that any participant can get exposed to the wonderful diversity that we have in the movement itself. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you ask, you know, why are we doing it? I think it's just important to note the the moment of urgency that we're in as a movement, as a country, as a world. And we have to be reminded that community takes work and community and social development takes a lot of coherent work. And when you meet up in a conference type setting, you have the opportunity to network and get exposed to new ideas and to, especially for younger folks, to get exposed to professional opportunities, which there will be a lot of at the convergence itself. And so there's the work side of things, but also we acknowledge that people get together to have a good time and dance and that actually a lot of the real networking happens over a beer. You know, for everyone who's actually networked, they kind of know this, that it has nothing really to do with the suit and tie setting oftentimes. And so we're trying to be representative of who people are. People like to dance. People like to build relationships. And we're going to try and throw all of the ingredients together over the weekend so that people can have access to all of those things in one setting. So it's a sustainability party. It's a sustainability party. You can come party and get your social justice on. And that's really why we're asking for people to come with a lot of drive and self-responsibility and intention. Mm-hmm. And people can do that. You can you can come up here and work hard from 9 a.m. when we start to 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. when we transition out of keynote speakers into a night of music. And by the way, the keynotes are going to be absolutely amazing. Mark Lakeman is coming down from the City Repair and Communitecture Project. In- wow, in Portland. And Afia Walking Tree, who, if you haven't heard of Afia Walking Tree, please look her up. She inspires me on a daily basis. Her sentiments are she's a drummer and a permaculturalist and a farmer. She weaves together these notions of history, oppression, and the need to be present within all those things and just walk through it. Be here and remember the past, but move within the present. She's so powerful and she'll be doing a keynote on Saturday morning. And then of course we have Bill McDormand from the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. And because he has such a perspective with seed and how seed is this genetic continuity through time, seeds are 
going to save us. And Bill McDormand understands that. He understands the urgency there. And you should certainly be listening to him about his, his ideas of how we can create resiliency through diversity in seed. He's so powerful. And then, of course, we have our very own Jeff Stein from the Kosani Foundation speaking. And besides the fact that he's got terrific sense of humor and uh, poetic delivery, he is he's a mentor to myself and he's an amazing thinker and architect as well. So the speakers are going to be great. And you can kind of choose your own adventure event where if you want to go listen to music at night, you can or you can go see a film screening or screening Mm -hmm. Viva La Verde is the film documenting the protection and conservation of the last flowing river in Arizona. Or you can watch Seed, the Untold Story, uh, with a discourse from from Bell Starr and, and Bill McDormand afterwards. And, and I should mention, too, Greg, that I'm not even giving the diversity of the event justice right now because I'm forgetting the entire healer component where we have a whole cohort of Eastern medicine and yogis and wow. more new agey, holistic medicines and, and healing and thinking that are going to be up on site and you can experience their kind of wisdom and intuition in person, which is, I think, the only way you can really experience something like a shamanic experience or Mm -hmm. you can talk about it, but it has to be something that is felt, I think, rather than thought about. And, And that's what's cool about the convergence is that it's going to be a complete immersion of all of these things. Arcosani is already this beautiful three-dimensional space, and we're welcoming everyone to feel at home there to start immersing themselves and being a part of the urban theater, to be a part of the play, to jump in, do something, ask good questions, be an intentional listener, and be honest and build the conversation about where we're at. Awesome. So when and where? Great question. The the convergence is happening November 10th through the 12th. And it's going to happen at Arcosani, of course, right off of I-17 as you go north from Phoenix to Flagstaff or south from Flagstaff to Phoenix. We are doing a camping event. There's accommodations close by if you don't want to camp. And you're more than welcome to join us the day beforehand where we're doing seed school in a day a day-long program about seed saving and backyard resiliency. And all these things can be accessed at our website, arco.life. It's the website of a new cooperative that's being started at Arcosani. Arco.life is the hub for ticket sales, event information. You can check out our speaker series. You can check out our music lineup. Of course, you can ask us any questions through our Facebook page as well. And that's just yeah. Facebook Convergence at Arcosani. It's an event page. Excellent. I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Ooh. Well, there's certainly a few times that I can think of. One of the things that I find most tricky in my short time as a professional and in the movement of nonprofit spheres and activism is the notion of burnout. And I think it's something that we talk about sometimes, and it's also just a really sneaky type of failure because you can be totally committed to something and totally pedal to the metal inspired, engaged, and then one day you wake up and you don't seem to care about these things that you should certainly be caring about. And that's why it's a tricky thing to talk about is because suddenly you 
there's like this creeping apathy towards the valuable work that you're doing. It's, it's tough, man. It's it's like suddenly you are struggling to care about resiliency and diversity and building beautiful ecological systems that that are in balance with people. And let, let me rephrase that. You suddenly wake up and, and you can't commit the way you normally do. And it's just a, it's, so I would say I, I've burned out a, a few times and pivot my professional actions and behavior because of that. So what did you learn from that? I think I learned that personal sustainability always comes first. And mm. of course, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of easier said than done because things seem so important that you do put yourself in the way of feeling balanced and because there's so much to do. Oh, yes. I experience that on a daily basis. <laughs> and so I guess for me, the, the answer is to take a deep breath and keep on trying. I don't think I've figured it. To be honest, I don't think I've figured out that yet. I don't know if a lot of people have figured that out. But it's certainly something I, I think needs to be talked about more is just ensuring that you're, as, as an activist or as a, a community grower, you are, are taking care of yourself first. Yeah. It seems selfish, but it's actually not. I'll say that. Right. You know, what they tell you on the plane, put your mask on first, right? Do it. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you consider your biggest success? My biggest success has certainly been the development of the Our Cooperative Association, which is a newly founded cooperative within the community of Arcosani. We are creating and scaffolding the entrepreneurial spirit on site to create economic abundance and and ecological balance up uh, within within the project. And it was such an amazing experience because you're working with other people and you're for myself, I was learning in real time what cooperation means in that sense, what it means to have a non-hierarchical business model and what it means to start working and facilitating with others in a way where nobody is bigger or better than you and you're all on, the, on an equal playing field. And so going through the development of the cooperative has been such a lovely learning experience for me because we've done it in real time. We incorporated maybe six months ago, and now we're already, uh -huh. we're already hosting our first event, which is this convergence. And so it's been a lovely success and learning experience simultaneously to work cooperatively in a business sense with these other folks. Nice. So what drives you? There's two sides to that. There's the good stuff that drives me and the bad stuff that, that drives me in the sense that I feel under fire sometimes and like my values are just getting attacked and diminished and steamrolled. These days, I feel like a lot of stuff is just getting steamrolled. And so that drives me in a way that kind of gives me a fire where I want to wake up and fight oppression and fight fascism and fight racism, not because I think I'm going to win, but because it is what it is because it is racism and and that is enough to drive me but i think there's the other side of that too which is the feeling of home and compassion and trust that i have had the opportunity to experience with other people in community and in larger community in communities of interest and and in cities where you can look across from you and really feel 
like you can trust other people. That feeling is intoxicating for me. It's absolutely yeah. I, the first. I remember the first time I experienced it. And of course, it was out. Uh -huh. It was out in California. I was at permaculture conference at the National Permaculture Convergence last mm -hmm. two two years ago, and it was just this amazing feeling where I was like, "These, this is my ideal community. I this I I could live in in this type of setting and have been endeavoring to recreate that ever since." Wow, excellent, excellent, and it sounds to me like that feeling is a basic core feeling for you. I think so. I think it really it that it, it helps me wake up in the morning and then understanding that that feeling is under fire makes me want to work all all the harder. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Ah, there's a lot of ways to go with this one, of course, but um, I'm a New Mexican and one of the leaders of our movement. We should always remember that I think sometimes gets overlooked. And this is why mm -hmm. my mind jumps to to this book is The Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. Mm, oh, yes. And if you haven't read it, it's a classic. And it's one of those books that reminds us why we're doing, you know, you talk about what drives us. And mm -hmm. Aldo Leopold writes in such a way that reminds us that our relationship to the land is the real reason we strive every day to protect it. And if we're not engaged with the land and working with it on a daily basis and understanding its rhythms and tempos, then what, why are you protecting it in the first place? And so I think the Sand County Almanac is a great book for anybody who wants to learn the wisdoms of man by way of observing nature. Highly recommend if you haven't read it and, and read The Land Ethic, at least, which is an essay often accompanied by that book that, that's worth, worth it, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, that was something that we re reviewed and looked at in my planning degree at Arizona State University. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? The main thing I think about these days is the need to work with each other. We mentioned that people get in the way more than anything else. And that means we have to be outspoken and have conviction, but we also have to have a great degree of humility and be supple with each other. And by that, I just mean no one can just push their way through a social group. We have to be active listeners and reserved speakers and let quiet exist sometimes and really work with each other in a way that we can start understanding that there is a great need and a kind of a Latin demand to start collaborating. And so if you start reaching out and making connections in your city, I think you'll start realizing that you shouldn't be afraid of doing those things mm -hmm. and, and building connections. People want that. If I have any advice, it's start reaching out. If you feel like you want to talk to someone, just do it. Make the call or or knock on a door and and don't feel so reserved like it's out of convention to to build those types of relationships. Just move and do it. And and if it doesn't work out and it's kind of an awkward or embarrassing conversation, that literally happens all the time and you got to get over it. Start making moves and building relationships. For me, you know, I'm a young professional and so I'm getting into this world of what are networks and how are they sustained and, and how do we build resiliency mm -hmm. and leverage our networks. And I'm learning that 
it really comes down to, first of all, integrity of self, but second of all, just the real happiness that you experience when you're open with people and are honest with where you're at, but willing to work from there. There you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Sean Paul. Thank you, Greg. It was, it was a pleasure. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and find out about The Convergence? Yeah, so like I mentioned, please check out The Convergence website for all information, tickets, etc. That's arco.life, arco.life. And for me personally, if you want to reach out to me, Sean Paul at arcosanti.org is a great way to get in touch with me. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash arcosante. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.